And just a disclaimer, we are not doctors. Information shared in this podcast is not meant as medical advice. We do not intend to diagnose, treat, or cure. We intend to delineate knowledge for educational purposes only. <laughs> Welcome to an, to the Native Trees in a Bag of Weeds podcast. We appreciate you tuning in. Messy, how was your week? It was busy. It was a busy week back at work. Um, yeah, it was busy and it was rough. I'm pretty certain that I've had a couple of fibro flares. I uh, haven't really figured out how to incorporate like my herbal teas and remedies that I've been trying to work with into like my work regimen. So I don't know because I'm a travel nurse. So I go out of town and I stay out of town for the, the days that I work. And so it's just, I don't know. I don't know how to, yeah. how to do that. I'm having a hard time figuring that out. And I'm also really bad about forgetting to take my meds or putting my meds in my pocket so I can take them with food because I'm either going to Starbucks to pick up food or something. I can't take them on an empty stomach. And then I forget to take them. Like Thursday, I missed my lion's mane and my Sammy. Um, And I think the Sammy has been helping a lot. And so when I skip a dose, I can really tell. And um, anyway, I'm just still trying to work on my self-care as far as my routine goes when I'm working because I work, you know, 12 and a half hour shifts. So you wake up at 5.30, get home at 8.30. It's really hard to try to fit self-care into that timing when... All I feel like I do is work and sleep, work and sleep. Oh, yeah. That's tough. I know it is. But then I come back home, and it's good. I'm drinking tea right now. I had some tea earlier and a hot bath and remembered my meds this morning. I did not take my nighttime dose, but that doesn't seem to affect me near as, nearly as much as the Sammy yeah. in the morning does. Um, went and picked a lot of stuff at the grandparents garden last week before I went back to work and that was a lot of fun I learned apparently you can make okra conditioner like okra slime is really good hair conditioner so we're gonna try that out this week hair conditioner is really good in the summer heat oh it was a joke oh like hair conditioner oh good one (laughs) But yeah, there was a lot of over like old okra pods, um, and there's a lot of young ones too. I made three jars of pickled okra. Um, picked a lot of peppers and some tomatoes, a lot of purslane um, that I then learned. What? I'm trying not to dad joke everything. <laughs> I'm not going to make a Peter Popper reference right there. Okay. Because he picked a peck of pickled peppers. I didn't pickle any peppers. I pickled ogre. You picked a peck. You picked a peck of peppers. Not a pickle. It's literally what you just said. Minus a couple words. (laughs) Minus most of the words, but okay. Mm. Um, I picked some rosemary and then told Ma I wanted some of her daylilies. 
stay tuned for a future episode because daylilies are medicinal. But I wanted some of her daylilies and they always need to be thinned out. She's got tons and tons of plants just around their house. It's a freaking magical garden. And so she just started giving me all the things, all the plants. Here, take this. Oh, here, you can have this. Oh, look at this random hosta leaf. Here, take this with you. Go ahead and thin out my Gerber daisies and my Aztec grass. And so I spent all the way till lunchtime, got a good, nice sunburn. Nice. After I picked the vegetable garden of thinning out all of her flowers to come try to landscape around the house. So that oh, was a lot looking of fun. good. Looking good. It is looking good. So... What did you do this week, Darren? Uh, it's been a long time ago. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> most of it was parenting and football practice. Mm. How's the parenting currently going? Yeah, well. <laughs> oh, in case you guys can't hear it in the background, our six-year-old is having to go through a toddler staged cry it out method. Which I know sounds really horrible and I hate it and it's ripping our hearts out. If anybody has any other ideas of what to do when your six-year-old has regressed into not capable sleep of sleeping yeah. by herself at well, all. The th so they spent the last month all hemmed up, decided over the summer to all sleep in the oldest daughter's room. Which was adorable. It was great. Except for now, it's almost time to go back to school. I'm like, hey, we need to reacclimate to sleeping in our own beds. And it is not one of that. And it is not going well. And as a daddy, and as the baby of the family is crying for daddy, I am going and checking. Yeah, we're the... responding to her. So she knows <sighs> that we respond to her cries. However... We can't give in to the somebody either sleep with her or she. She slept in our bed last night. We attempted this last night, and she ended up sleeping in our bed. Oh, yeah. And we just can't. We can't keep allowing that. No. It's been a long week of parenting, being yeah. as you were at work. She's had a rough week. Yeah, you you were at work the last couple it's days of the week. being a six-year-old. All of our typical child care resources um grandparents were on vacation every one of them good for them um so that left uh daddy so daddy went in and You're got good daddy. got some work done and we we daddied it up and we fried some hamburgers and we had a big time but when i was finally able to um branch away for a minute i've been spending most of my time in mass controlled invasive eradication mode hold uh, on is that is there an acronym for that because that was a whole bunch mass of mass controlled invasive no mc ie you need to find a way to switch the oh, i and the yeah. e and then it's mice die in the c M there we mass go invasive mass invasive controlled eradication yeah it works that works mice works. he was micing this week i've been micing um, <laughs> that's what it is now so but that's here's on a shirt. so here's the thing is i don't i am pro no mowing no spraying 
Nomo, no, oh, Nomoing. No I heard no, Nomo, and I did not know what that was an acronym for. Oh, yeah. No, no, no bush hogging, no spraying. So. No till. But, but um, there, there comes a point where it is a useful tool when invasives outnumber. They don't respond to anything else. Yeah, when, when they outnumber. The, the little bit of good that's in them, you're better off just kind of getting, at least trying to get back to square one. Did um, you at least find anything interesting while you were bushing? I found tons week? of privet hedge, tons of china berry trees. I said interesting. <laughs> um, I did have to sacrifice a great deal of passion fruit. It'll come back though. Yeah, it was it was so deep in the china berry and all the junk that I didn't even know it was there until after I mowed and went walking back through and I was stepping on passion fruit everywhere. But we still got yes. plenty of passion fruit um, that's accessible. And, and we found a new up. bat, a new um, little patch down at the other end of the um, farm from mm. where we're currently at and have our own little patch in our backyard. There's some on the other end of the farm too. Yeah, no, one of the main sections I was focusing on, um, of course, behind the house, but when I went across the road, and it is probably the oldest growth. Um, it's not really a forest. It's supposed to be a savanna, swamp edge type thing. Um, but it's probably the most diverse when it comes to trees. Um, but it's also the absolute worst when it comes to Chinese privet. And it, the under understory... Is solid. It's so grown up. Solid Chinese privet. But that's saying it's probably some of the oldest oak trees on the whole farm or down there. I kind of remember walking through there like, I don't know, eight or nine years ago to get to the tree stand to deer hunt. And you mm -hmm. could walk through it. Like I sat in oh. those woods, like sat on the floor up against a tree waiting on deer. Yeah, bro. And I used to squirrel. Do that I now. squirreled hunted in there and you'd shoot a squirrel and you could find it on the forest floor yeah, but you now can't walk in there at all now you can't even get in and but it, as far as diversity i mean it's got old growth oak old growth pine tulip trees which is the only spot around here i know where you can find tulip trees um sweet bay magnolia trees pine trees it's it's probably the coolest section all those ferns of trees several different tons of ferns, ferns beauty berry out the wazoo i found some uh very new Apparently, Pa had just mentioned the other day, my granddad, I was talking about sassafras trees, and he's like, we used to have a ton of sassafras, and uh, he's like, I haven't seen them in years around here. And lo and behold, like the next day, I was down there, and I found some sassafras seedlings and saplings, and that there is no parent tree anywhere around. So it's just some, they got buried over time and went away, and had a chance to come back and they're coming back and I actually there was so many that I felt comfortable enough I actually um pulled one was able to get one up the root system and all and I put it in a big pot here at the house um to try to keep and manage and then the the rest I'm just going to kind of let do their thing as I tend to do yeah but the coolest thing down there and I'll make this quick so my story time is over <laughs> but it's the freaking owl that freaking owl. The freaking owl, man. I'm obsessed with it, and it's just blowing I my mind. I think he's obsessed with you. I think. So, 
for anyone listening, I am incredibly, incredibly into Native American culture. And, uh, there is some within your blood somewhere. We yeah, just don't know. I, I feel how to identify what it is. Yeah, I, I've, I've got it pretty narrowed down to where it comes from, but I just feel an overwhelming attachment to Native culture and the land and the animals. Like, I, I feel it deeper than I than I know. Is is weird, but so years ago. Before we moved away from the farm, um, so it's been at least six years. It's been probably 2013, 2014 is when we were hunting down there a lot. And I would go hunt, and they would always, the first time scared the bejesus out of me. When this owl came full spread right at my tree stand and landed like the limb above me. And then after it scared me, because owls are freaking huge, this is a barred owl. Barred, not barn, barred owl. Um, I was like, that's pretty cool. I had an owl come land in my tree. Then I'd go hunting again, and it would happen again. Then I would go hunting again, and it would happen again. It happened four, five, six times within like one hunting season. there was that one time where it like landed in front of your truck on the dirt road. Yeah. Like all in the same span of time. Yeah, all in the same span of time. It, this owl, then we moved, it was shortly after that, like the next year is when we moved off the farm, and we yeah. just wasn't out here as much. And then immediately, we come back to the farm, and if I step outside at night, I can hear the owls, which doesn't seem that odd. You would hear owls. We live around a swamp where owls live. Then one night, I come home, and it was perched on the dead tree at the end of the driveway. And it was like, once it saw me and we were good, it sat there for a minute and flew away, which is also, again, not an odd occurrence. But as I dig into native culture, you know, you also you have great symbolism in animals, and you have this attachment to wildlife, mm-hmm. and and I, there there's a lot I don't know. There's a lot I'm undecided, and a lot is complicated. But um, you do have like companion animals and stuff like that. And the owl typically is a good sign or a good animal, but a bad omen. As in, if the owl is spotted around your house, it's taken as an omen that somebody close to you is going to pass away. But animals that typically are a bad omen can also become, say, your companion animal, and it don't really carry that omen. It just becomes your companion animal. Well, since we're back on the farm, this you know, I saw him at the driveway. I've heard him. I'm like, cool. You know, it's it's cool to see my owls. I've grown very fond of owls after the hunting experience and befriending the one in the woods. Well, then it was two weeks ago that you were off at work and the kids were off with a grandparent. And I'm like, I'm going to just go walk through the woods for a little while. And so I decided to go for a walk through the woods. And I'm in the middle of the woods and this owl comes from a great distance. Like it wasn't just flying around tree to tree and then we happened across the same path and then he left and then I left. And it was just a, hey, cool, I saw an owl. This joker came from like across the woods and perched like right above me in the tree. I'm like, hey, cool. So I stood there for a minute and kind of talked to him, which you would think would scare him away, and it didn't. And I'm like, all right, well, I'm going to keep moving. Well, as I move forward, once I get past the owl, he kind of swoops to the next tree in front of me. And the entire time, like a quarter mile stretch through the woods, he just stayed beside me. As I walked, he went tree to tree, 
and he kind of hung out. When I left the woods, he went the other way, and we parted ways. And then, yes, the day before yesterday, the same thing. You were at work, and I'd bush hogged down in the, around the woods, targeting some of that privet, and I parked the tractor. I wanted to walk down there and just kind of walk around and look and, you know, put put, put feet on the ground and eyes and, and just see what all was down there and do a quick survey of, of that forest. And... This owl comes from like across the road. I watch it fly over the woods, come into the woods, and again, perch on this massive oak tree right beside me. And typically, you know, you think you make noises or move a whole bunch. Um, you would scare the animal. I sat there and talked to Mr. Owl, and uh, he just hung out with me. Like I got a good look at him and figured out what he was, and he just hung out with me. And then when he left, I left, and it was just cool. It's, That's it's pretty neat. It's neato. It's neato. I've yet to figure out what my spirit animal is, but I think it's pretty <laughs> obvious that he's yours. Yeah, so me and me and Al are good buddies. Um, but that was probably the, I mean, besides the the great forest we have down there, it was cool to run into Mr. Al again. So, yeah. Yeah. I was kind of hoping you were going to mention the mass amount of mint you ran over yeah so and so i was i was cutting some privet and i backed into this wood one edge of the woods um and i I turned the bush hog on and i'm going and i'm like man that smell is i'm like that smells like freaking mint the entire cab of the i'm inside of an enclosed cab tractor with a very tight seal air conditioner blowing and i'm like man it is strong mint smell in here so I get out anytime I am eradicating something and I come across something new, I want to get out and I check it out to make sure, see if it's something that needs to be eradicated or see if it's something I need to mend and keep around. And it turned out to be what I thought was tropical bush mint is what it came up on on iNaturalist. Um, and it was very minty. It is a useful mint, but it turned out to be not tropical bush mint, but... Cat mint is what my mint. app identified it at as and then i went to google i like to cross-reference my app if i'm uncertain um which it's obviously a type of mint that was very obvious um but cat mint was described as having like this spicy um basil like is that what it was no crap if you hadn't asked me i would have been able to tell you (laughs) um it wasn't basil what's another it was uh flavor Sage. Sage. Yeah, sage. So it was a spicy sage-like mint, which is exact. And I found that after telling you that it was like a spicy. It wasn't a sweet mint. mint Why is it spicy? (laughs) (laughs) And we had just, I had just gotten smelling his uh, mountain mint is a very, very sweet. Bro, mountain mint's top tier mint. Yeah, it's a very, very sweet mint. Reminds me of peppermint patty. And it's native. And, um... So I was comparing it to that, and I was like, this is a very spicy mint, not necessarily sweet one. And then I go to Google, and I'm researching cat mint, trying to make sure that's what it is. And it, it described it as a spicy sage mint, and that was perfect. That was exactly what it smelled like. Um, but, uh, I mean, overall, it... Uh, I don't know if it's native. It's not native. The only... So there are like hundreds and hundreds of varieties of mint. There's so like a, a mint for every country in the world. Um, I think catnip is Indian. 
Yeah. Cat mint, not yeah, cat mint. Yeah, cat mint. A lot cat of them. A lot of the mints are Indian. Of course, Asia's got a lot of cool stuff. Um, that is not native here, and it's obviously invasive. That's obviously invasive. Most mint is very aggressive. Um, but just cool fact when it comes to the mountain mint is, as far as this portion of of North America, on uh, specifically us in Alabama. There are about 20 varieties of mountain mint. What I have outside is short tooth mountain mint. And all, I think nearly all of the mountain mints are the only mints that are native to um, North America. So, but we did harvest some of the cat mint. Yeah, I mean, it's there. It's there, it's there well so you might it. as well use it. We'll cover that in another episode. I'm sure. I was actually going to cover that this episode, but I changed gears. Um, adjusted my notes like 30 minutes ago. So. <laughs> Such a slacker. <laughs> Golly. Uh, you actually mentioned what I'm going to talk about a little bit ago. Um, sorry. What are you talking about today, Messy? I am talking about a Calicarpa Americana. Calicarpa Americana? That's my favorite. <laughs> Also known as an American Beauty Berry. American Beauty Berry. You must yes. have been eating a lot of it. What? Because you're beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> Pickup lines. Ooh. Gone wrong. You're my beauty um, berry. Yeah, apparently Calicarpa is from the Latin word uh, that means beautiful fruit. I couldn't find that backed up anywhere except for one blog that I found that one sentence and then couldn't really figure out. Where that came from, but that makes sense because beautyberry is called such because it is it got beautiful like fuchsia purple berries on it. They're really once said so. I've seen them my whole life managing the pastures because most of what we got is where the cows are mm-hmm. in that pasture. So I've seen them my whole life, and I think we used to have a ton in our backyard <laughs> at the old house. That I always got mad at these weeds for popping up in the backyard. I'm like, what is these stupid weeds, the berries? And I always just like cut them down and got them out of the way. Yeah. Um, we didn't know what we had out there. But, uh, so yeah, we I used to rid of all the beauty berry. And now, the bright purple berries, are they're very noticeable. Yeah, I've looked up several pictures. And, of course, I will post a picture of the beauty berry on my um, Instagram I'll have to find one I can borrow because right now ours are not ripe. Um, so I don't really have a, you know, a good picture of a ripe beautyberry bush right. yet. Um, and again, this is probably one of those where I probably should have waited until I had more personal experience with this herb to discuss it. But uh, we might cover it again later when I have some experience to share with you guys. Um, definitely we'll cover it on my TikTok and Instagram when that time when that season comes but in the meantime we'll talk about what uh we know from my research in beautyberry um it is in part of the verbena family such as like uh lantana lemon verbena all those are in this verbena family wikipedia said it was part of the laminaceae family which is mint family and at first i was like oh cool it's that makes sense of why it's uh some of the properties that it has um but i think that was wrong i don't I thought a while ago, because we was harvesting the mint, and of course we picked some beautyberry leaves. I stuck stick them under my sleeves to repel mosquitoes and whatnot, I'm sure. We'll talk about that later. But yeah, you're totally if you, ruining. No, I'm not ruining. Way. I'm just saying that when I tore the leaf, 
Um, it has a similar fragrance. Well, so does like Lantana has a very yeah. strong scent to it. I can see that. Lemon yeah. Verbena has is more of a lemony scent to it, but Lantana has a very similar scent, in my opinion. Yes, yes, it does. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but, but it, I could I could see how it could be related somewhat to a mint. Yeah, that maybe. made sense to me. And yeah. then I went to uh, to doing more research and looking. Um, Beautyberry was not in any of my herb books, so this is the first one that I'm covering. That's it's going to sound like it's structured a little bit different because I'm not all of the other two herbs that I've covered. I pulled out of my out of my herb encyclopedia, um, which goes into more detail on like the specific constituents and things like that. Um, so this is really, I had to pull this a lot from the internet, um, several blogs, some on Wikipedia, um, but again, not super trusting in Wikipedia because I do, it's, everything else said it was part of the Verbena family and that makes much more sense. So, not mint family. Wikipedia is wrong. Uh, but it is a native shrub. It's about three to five feet. We've found some that are even taller than that if they're really happy where they're growing they can get up to nine yeah. feet yes uh, but average three to five feet um, in the early summer late spring they'll have these pretty uh, pink or lilac flowers um, some of ours still have some flowers yeah, on them flowers. Um, but most of them have turned to berries now which right now they're all a bright green um, and then Late summer, like August, September, even on into the winter, um, they'll have these bright fuchsia berries. Um, and then, so the American beauty berry, the berries grow in a tight cluster that actually goes all the way around the, the branch. Mm-hmm. Have you noticed the way the, the berries grow mm-hmm. all the way around instead of in like loose clusters like a grapevine? If the berries... The um, if the beauty berries grow in like a separate stem in a loose cluster, much like a grapevine, that's actually an Asian beauty berry, uh-huh. and it doesn't have the same uh, insect yes. repelling properties as the American beauty berry. So, along those lines, I've actually seen this posted by a couple of native plant nurseries um, that I do follow. I think one of them is Indigenous Landscapes that I follow on Facebook, and they had a post about this a while back that. Even though, so so the American beautyberry is native from like Texas, Oklahoma, all the way around the southeast up to like Maryland. Mm-hmm. A, a typical southeastern North American yeah. plant. Yet, our major nurseries typically we'll carry. Sell, what is it like, Boldier? Yeah, like. Beautyberry why? or something, but it's an Asian beautyberry. Yes, okay, yeah. so why do we have a native beautyberry that is freaking awesome? Why would nurseries want to bring in an invasive non-native to I don't know. before i go on a tangent i just had to yeah bring, you're getting there but anyway that's how you can tell the difference if you come across a beauty berry you want to know um if it's going to have those uh properties that we'll discuss in a little bit the asian is not as good um to be used as the american also it's not native so that's the main difference there are differences i think in like the leaves and stuff but the biggest difference in is in how the fruit grows um, beauty berries are a favorite foliage for birds, uh, primarily bobtail and mockingbirds, um, and white-tailed deer love them as well. So they are not deer resistant. Uh, a lot of herbs, medicinal herbs are, beauty berry is not. 
Um, natives used to, oh, oh, I had another. Uh, squirrels are known to break off a branch of berries and take home with them. Like, they don't just eat them all right there. They'll just <laughs> take off a branch to take home uh, one blog. You're coming home with me. Mm, yeah. <laughs> one blog <laughs> I, I read said it's a squirrel's version of takeout. That's awesome. I know. Uh, makes me kind of mad, like, now I'm just going to be paying attention to our beautyberry bushes when we go to harvest them. Like, if there's... If it looks like they've been broken off or not, because of the amount of squirrels that we yeah. have back remember, there. Remember at the old house where we where most of the beautyberry is? That we had like uh-huh. fox squirrels out there. We Yazoo. did. We did have a lot of fox squirrels probably that lived in that country. Probably because there were so many takeout options. <laughs> Between now the beautyberry and the pecans. Yeah, they were pretty yeah. happy back there. Um, yeah, so natives used to use the tea from the roots and leaves. Um and make like sweat baths to treat rheumatism and fevers and malaria. Uh, they would make tea to drink out of the roots for dysentery, stomach aches, and then um, you can do roots and the berries to make a tea for colic. Got a question. Mm-hmm. What is dysentery? Isn't it diarrhea? Yeah, I, I thought so. But my thing I'm talking about also. Um, Isn't that the thing you dive on the Oregon Trail? <laughs> I mean, isn't it? Uh, uh, not sure, but uh, infection of the intestines resulting in severe diarrhea. Uh, okay, that that yeah. makes sense. That's I what you com- died of on the Oregon Trail. Oh yeah, so I I come across a lot of plants that are like this is good for dysentery. Yeah, and it's, they're I'm usually like, with astringent properties, which is what yeah. I was going to get to next. Is that there's a lot of astringent properties in the berries and in the roots. And anything that's astringent is also very drying, and so it's great for bleeding and usually great for diarrhea also. Mm-hmm. And now that song's stuck in my head. I, <laughs> I could have just said dysentery. That's a much better word to use. Anyway, now that you've all heard me say that a million times, we'll move on. Dysentery. <laughs> diarrhea. <laughs> uh, all right. So we'll talk about the berries first. Like I said, they're very bright fuchsia color. Like almost don't look real. Oh, shade yeah. of purple. They're bright. They're, they're bright. so bright. Um, one of the really cool things um, that I'm learning with herbs and stuff is a lot of purple fruits. That's usually um, the compound that makes them that color is a very very rich antioxidant. That that makes sense. Elderberry, yes. beautyberry. Yes. Acais, blueberries, blackberries, hawthorn berries, all these berries um, have what's called proanthocyanins, which is a constituent that leads to its purple color, purple or blue color, the cyan kind of Hmm. is the takeaway word from there. But that constituent is found in most brightly colored purple fruit, like blackberries and hawthorn berries and elderberries. Yeah. So um, that's a very high antioxidant compound. Um, so I wouldn't eat high, I know you're excited for when we can go pick the beauty berries, but they're not recommended to eat high quantities raw. Um, one, they're, if they have any flavor, it's kind of like a medicine-like flavor. They're kind of flavorless basically when they're raw. They can also cause upset stomach because they are so astringent. That's what I've heard is, is they're not some people have gone as far to say that they're toxic and they are not they're, toxic. That's what even like my dad 
um, which Ma, obviously, with all of They're her so knowledge... They're so brightly colored, they almost look like they should be poisonous. Ma, with all her knowledge that we've had to milk out of her, she's like, oh yeah, those are great. I'm like, uh, but I told my dad about them. <laughs> like, where, where was this growing yeah. up? I told my dad, I'm like, hey, all those beauty berries back there in the pasture, I'm like, you know, those are like edible, right? He's like, huh, I was always told they were poisonous. Then I went to Ma with all of her infinite wisdom. I'm like, hey, is, what do you know about beauty berries? Um, I heard they're really good. She's like, oh yeah, beauty berry jelly is the bee's knees. Yeah. I'm like, why didn't I know this? Why do I think they're poisonous <laughs> my whole life? Grew up out here and never knew. Uh, but yeah, so while they're not super great to eat raw, they are very high... Making a noise. Oh, You're good. I'm sorry. They are preferred cooked. That is also another difference between the American beauty berry and the Asian beauty berry. Asian beauty berries are sweeter, which may be why nur nurseries prefer to sell them. They aren't as good cooked. In cooked recipes, they're better raw, whereas the American beauty berry is not good raw, but better in cooked recipes. Um, so the best way to use the berries is to start off with extracting juice from them. And the best way to do mm -hmm. that, because they're so teeny tiny, is to boil them for about 20 minutes. And you want to do that with a one-to-one -one ratio of berries and water. So like one cup of berries, one cup of water. Boil them, mash out. Similar, mm -hmm. you would do the same thing with blackberries. Yeah. Like if I want to make blackberry jelly, I'm going to get the juice from the blackberries by yeah. boiling them and mashing them out. Um, and then from there, I've found recipes for jelly, of course, um, which is going to have that same bright mm -hmm. purple hue. Um, Jello, sorbet, wine. The wine has me intrigued. I saw I it know. in your notes. Yeah. yeah, I'm intrigued too. I like I like learning you can make liquor with things. Yeah. Um, sauce or vinaigrettes or glaze to put on it's really good with like white meat like white fish or um poultry yeah it's a really good kind of glaze for huh. for white meat so i'm excited to try some of that too find which herbs i can mix that'll really bring out those flavors yeah i think that was that was what i read um about a lot of people like pioneers and even you know back in the day that's the best better way to say it <laughs> um that beauty berry was a favorite on to be made into a condiment to, to accompany your wild game recipes. Yeah. Like it was used to flavor up your deer you killed. Yeah. That's, and I mean, I mean I, I'm excited. That's spot. one of like, the things I'm excited to do with it is to make a, like an herbal glaze with beauty oh yeah. berry. Um, so I'll have to test the flavor of the beauty berry to kind of figure out which herb I think will go with it. Thyme, rosemary. Sage. Rosemary goes with everybody. Rosemary goes with lots of things. Yes, rosemary's <laughs> always a good one. <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah, so, and then the, I saw several things that compared the juice of the beauty berries to hibiscus tea. <laughs> kind of that spicy, sweet, floralish yeah. kind of note to it. Um, it's very high in vitamin C, fiber, carbs, and of course we talked about the antioxidants. However, Beauty Berry is most known for its bug repellent properties. Yes. Edit out all the page turning. No. <laughs> <laughs> so there were several things that compared the compounds in... The, the bug repelling compounds to DEET, which we all know that everybody hates. DEET is not good. We all want to stay away from DEET. However, 
It is absolutely the best at repelling mosquitoes. Oh, absolutely. It's so annoying that it's so hard to find other products without DEET that do the job that DEET does. Um, because there's lots of, you know, viruses and things that we can get from mosquitoes. Yeah. So, um, and one of the first ways we kind of noticed and made this connection that Beautyberry was bug repellent was in a walk, you noticed a difference mm-hmm. when you were checking out the woods when we were first moved down here. Yeah. Um, he was telling me that just how much the ecosystem changed and that he happened to notice at one part of the woods he went from being eaten up by mosquitoes to not being eaten up by mosquitoes and hardly noticing any at all. And then I went into those woods with him and started identifying plants. I also noticed you look up at the trees the whole time we're in a new area and while I'm looking at the <laughs> ground. Um, so that's a really fun thing. We make a good combo. But I noticed all these smaller um, shrubs and we realized that it was just real lanky young beauty berry and, and i mean they're in the understory so they're not getting full sun to yeah. grow as bushy so they're not as bushy as the ones out in the pasture but there's a ton of them yes and i was like that makes so much sense why there's no bugs in this part of the woods yeah so that was really cool that was one of the first things i read about beauty berry was about um back in the day yeah they would you know strip the leaves and put it under yeah, saddles so appalachian and mississippian folklore um, like what they passed down to their kids. Like there were several blogs where like their grandpa would tell them how they would put beautyberry leaves in the harness of their horses and mules. Mm-hmm. And I know you read red where they stuck them in the saddles of their horses to keep away the flies and mosquitoes yep. and, and all the biting bugs off their horses. Um, and so I thought that was really cool. And now I'm interested in trying to do that, except one of our horses probably won't let me put a harness on him. So, <laughs> There's no hope in that. No, and it's gotten to where I do that anytime because most of our woods around here, in one way or the other, do have beautyberry. So anytime, the first thing I do when I get to the woods is locate the beautyberry, strip off some leaves, I stick it in my sleeves, put some in my pocket. Yeah, you walked into the kitchen earlier and the kids were like, Daddy, why is there a leaf in your shirt? <laughs> yeah, it's my skeeter spray. <laughs> it's your skeeter spray. Yeah, so a lot of people would rub down with the crushed leaves. It's very similar to what I do when we go down to the pond and I grab up some citronella and lemongrass and I crush it up and I start rubbing down with it. Hmm. Um, that works really well for me, but the beautyberry is so accessible when you're in the woods. It's accessible and it's almost a 100% working like it, yeah, like I've it's obvious. It like you don't even it. really have to crush it to get that no, property. Uh-uh. Like a lot of people say it's in the oils, and I'm sure that it is. Much like, you know, what irritates you about poison ivy is the oils from it. But it works so well that the environment around these plants is bug free. Yeah, they, like not even having to crush. And the now, leaves. disclaimer: it, not all like dragonflies, and I've. I do still deal with so uh, occasional yeah, horse biting, fly. biting bugs. Yeah, like mosquitoes, yeah, like arthropods. flies. Arthropod yeah. bugs, yeah. Um, so I kept doing my research, try to figure out this. So fun fact, the USDA has actually admitted to the abilities of beautyberry and bug repellent. If I'm agreeing with the government, something's wrong somewhere. Yeah, so what we're gonna, I'm going to make you feel better in a second. Just hold on. So in 2006, the USDA did agree, and this was what they had to say. Traditional folklore remedies many times are found to lead nowhere following scientific research. This is true, but I don't care. 
because traditional folklore remedies do typically work regardless of what your science says. But anyway, uh, the beautyberry plant and its ability to repel mosquitoes is an exception. We actually identified naturally occurring plant and blah, 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 blah. We actually identified naturally occurring chemicals in the plant responsible for this activity. So the article goes on to say, and these were, um, I think at, at the University of Mississippi was who did this research, that they've identified um, three insect repelling compounds, calicarpinol, which is comes from the genus name of beauty mm-hmm. berries, so it's very specific to the beauty berries. Um, intermediol and spathulinol. Um, the calicarpinol was the only one I was able to find decent research on. Um, it's a terpenoid, which uh, we've covered in a previous episode as a type of saponin. Um, that it's a, it's a constituent, and it's really good at repelling mosquitoes, horseflies, ticks. I think they even found in some studies where it repelled um, fire ants which is kind of neat. Hmm. Um, but yeah, it was really good at mainly your flying biting bugs, like mosquitoes and flies, deer flies, horse flies, yellow flies. Um, but also they're even seeing some results in laboratories. Like this is actual scientific in a laboratory using these, yeah. extracting these compounds and using them um, on like skin simulations and stuff hmm. with um, even ticks and fire ants. So I'm I'm curious to know if they would work on like fleas, which we have other herbs that that can work on fleas. If beautyberry does not, but um, they, however, I want to go stick some in the ant bed by my flower pots and see what happens. Hey, sounds like a fun activity. Um, so I'm thinking this is 2006 that the government has determined that there is a natural plant mm-hmm. as good as neat. Yeah. That was 12. Well, hold on. What year is it? (laughs) (laughs) What year is it? Uh, That was 16 years ago. Oh, yeah. And we hear nothing about this. No. They've not been able to replicate this, mass produce produce this compound, what they consider safely and affordably. And by safely, like it's, it's mainly all about the money. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they can't affordably mass produce this particular compound, um, but also they would have to put a lot of money and time into research um, to determine the toxicity in order to safely regulate Good. it. Good. Right. Because as soon as they do, right. it's going to be illegal to own Beautyberry. <laughs> right. So on that note, stay tuned and follow me on Instagram and TikTok at Messy Livin where I plan to try to make an infused oil out of beautyberry leaves and see if I can make a bug repellent balm, which I do have a bug repellent balm that I have made. I want to see... But if you can add this junk to it. If I can add this junk to it. Because me, I've always rubbed down with the centronella and with the lemon balm, and it's always kind of worked, and then it, it works a little. but For me, it works really well. The citronella, I, especially. Yeah, um, it's it's for me. It's always been. Yeah. It, you can tell a difference, but it's never a hundred. The beauty berry though, has been on the money every time and does exactly. 
like the day we was walking in the woods, that was I was actually talking to my dad on the phone or texting him or something while we were in the woods. Mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, we're down here walking by the creek. He's like, how you probably get NATO with yellow flies. And I'm like, you know what? Come to think of it, I no, seen, no yellow flies, seen the no one, mosquitoes. Not a single yellow fly. That's yet. odd, but it's very cool. Yeah. So like I said, I would I would love to be able to share more personal experience on the Beautyberry, aside from its bug repellent properties. Um, I want to make a salve with it. Um, that will definitely be updated um, on the gram and on TikTok, I'm sure. Messy and then, underscore living. Yeah. Living. Living. Messy living underscore living. Um, that is my new name. I don't think I announced... Did I announce that officially? I don't think I don't so. think I don't remember if I did that last week or not. We've talked about it before because I've been through the underscore thing before. Well, my, the underscores in all my names, oh, like yeah. even Messy yeah. Mixologist had an underscore. But I need. I was talking. I'm, I have mentioned several times needing a new name that I felt was more specific to my content, and I've landed on Messy Living, and I think that. That works out really well. So that's where you can find me on both the gram and TikTok, where I will keep up to date when we go to making this balm to see it's if I can extract these bug repellent properties, um, and when it comes harvest season this fall. Nice. I'm excited. Yeah, I am too. Beautyberry is the bomb. The bomb. Uh-huh. <laughs> All right. So guess what I got this week. What you got this week? Notes. <gasps> notes. <laughs> oh, look, ma- you have notes like I do. Yeah, not many, though. Wikipedia hooked me up. Good job, Wikipedia. Now, this is one that I've been attached to the last few weeks. Um, hence the TikTok video taking off, talking about it. And it's, it's become, and really, our property prob- should probably be named after it, as many as we have. It's become like the staple of our Oh, the sweetgum? Yeah, the uh, staple of our land. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, there's so many sweetgum trees out Li- there. Liquid Damabar Styriciflua. Styriciflua. <laughs> I'm not good at these. It's a. <laughs> I let TikTok. I let the TikTok voice guy say it for me on my video. Oh, I do not. <laughs> um, but we're talking about the American sweetgum tree, and these are. So ever since we or before. We moved in and really got in, back to the farm and really got into native plants and trees and learning all about things. The sweet gum wasn't very high on my list of trees that I liked. Like they look, the big ones, the really mature ones by the pond. I don't think anybody cool. likes sweet gums because they create big spiky. Yeah, it's like death what balls. Did, what did Mandy call them? Nature's Legos? Yeah, nature's Legos that they will hurt your feet if you're walking barefooted under a sweet gum tree and yeah. it's dropped its fruit. I'd consider them aggressive you because they're they are very freaking aggressive. everywhere they, down there. They they're will. just saplings galore. And when it comes to like its quality toward like wildlife, like there's not much a deer or, I mean the birds will eat the seeds, um, obviously, and we got some birds that love them, but. Uh, a lot of they get a lot of hate, and I I was on board with that before. Um, even the ones in our backyard, when we were putting the house here, I actually wanted to remove them and replace them with something else. Um, but I decided to keep them around and uh, just figure out if they look good. They're very, so first on the list is, is 
that I'll say is if you're going to keep it for any reason, wild would be good in your yard, even if you're not into using um, plants as medicine and, and food and whatnot, is they are some of the beautiful, most beautiful fall colors. Oh, yeah. Like the reds and the deep red and the oranges. We've got a young one back there that we had thought was a maple tree. And turns out it's just a really young yeah, the sweet young, gum. But young it sweet stays. Gums. Yeah, the, the young sweet gums are very, very similar in look to a maple. Um, the bark, before it matures and gets the really rigid looking bark with the ridges in it, the bark looks similar to a maple tree. The leaf color is similar to a red maple. The leaf shape is even similar to a maple. There's some distinct differences where... The sweet gum, actually, the way I differentiate it is the sweet gum looks like a starfish. Mm-hmm. Where a maple is a little, not it's as much of a star. It's a little yeah. flatter on the bottom. Um, but all that said is the more I have learned about sweet gum trees, the more fascinating they become. Mm-hmm. And now, with our mature ones down by the pond and the ones in the backyard... Um, I've, I've really grown quite fond of them, and it's kind of a, a staple. It's become one of my... You proposed to me under a sweet gum tree. I did propose to you under a sweet gum tree. So, I mean, they're sentimental. They're in our yard. It's become like the backdrop of our property where we're making our life. And not to mention, the entire thing is edible. Like, I don't recommend eating an entire sweet gum tree. You would be, get really full. Um, that was a joke. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta laugh. You gotta throw something my way. <laughs> no, I got. <laughs> what is wrong with you? I got a piece of grass in my nose or something. It's choking me. It went down my throat. I don't know what's going That's on. What she said. <sighs> Those were great noises. <laughs> Keeping that in there. But anyway, the leaves, um, the fruit. The um, the entire tree is useful. Mm-hmm. The wood is useful. It's just a magnificent tree. So some other names for the sweet gum tree, which uh, I tried to pronounce its official name, which is Liquidamabar styraciflua. Um, it's American sweet gum, also called American storax. Yeah. Which, there's a good reason it's called the American Storax. It's um, the resin that comes from it. It's named Storax. Yes, that is like the main thing with the sweet gum. We'll go into it in a minute. It's called a hazel pine, which is a cool Ooh, name. Oh, I like that name. I know. We could name the pond after that. Yeah. Hazel Pine Pond. I like it. Yeah. Red gum. Yeah. Makes sense. And my personal favorite, alligator wood. Oh, that does yeah, make sense. That's, that's what the bark looks like. Because they tend to grow. They are native to, like, the east side of Texas. Um, the more, <laughs> What I refer to as the normal side of Texas. Uh, yeah. It's a lot more like us before it turns into desert. Like, yeah, the Confederate n- side of Texas. Yeah, the normal side of Texas. Um, and then all the way around in North Florida, Alabama, Georgia, up to the Carolinas, and all the way up to, like, Virginia. But there's this neat little outcropping where they're not native, and that's the Appalachians. Um, if you look at the native map, they're not native to the Appalachian mountain range. It's more of the uh, 
prairie land, farmland, and lowland hmm. mainly, which is why all of your your swamp land, low bottom forests, that sweet gum is very uh, prevalent in those areas. Yeah. Not so much highland. So, um, it is a very cool native tree. It is deciduous, so it does shed its leaves um, every year. And as I mentioned, it is beautiful fall foliage, mm -hmm. beautiful deep red colors. Um, but actually, going way back, people recorded these trees and their published records of these. Actually, the first published record of a sweet gum tree was in 1615. Um, by a naturalist named Francisco Hernandez, and he describes it as a large tree, um, and it, he describes the liquid amber that he found in the tree. Mm -hmm. So, like the first published noticeable thing about a sweet gum tree was That's the scientific was the name. resin, liquid yeah. amber, liquid ambidar, however uh, no, it's pronounced. No, it's liquid amber. Li yes, liquid amber bar. You added an extra A. No, that's what the internet said. Then I d then I missed an yeah. A when I did but it. But it is liquid amber is what it's named yeah. after. So the most noticeable feature of the tree is the resin, which was actually highly commercially traded like worldwide back then. It was actually a very um, important sweet gum. Yes, sweet gum. <laughs> it was a very important commodity um, in worldwide trade to the economy way back when um there's actually earlier reports of people noticing the sweet gum tree back to like 1517 with uh people selling the world and coming to the americas and discovering the land and making note of this tree with its liquid amber and they speak of the natives actually lighting it in a certain way and mm -hmm. smoking it and but if you trace everything back the the most Noticeable feature, the most important feature, the most crucial feature of the sweet gum tree is the sweet gum, the resin of the tree. So the biggest, so I posted a TikTok video, what was it, about two weeks ago, and it become one of my best performing TikToks because uh, you notice this, your best TikToks are the most argumentative TikToks. The when controversial it comes, Yeah, ones, the controversial yeah. ones. People and a like lot, drama. A lot of people knew that it had medicinal properties. And a lot of people didn't know, so they were excited to find out. Then a lot of people just simply hate this tree, like from every <laughs> aspect. Um, the biggest thing being the natural Legos or the porcupine eggs that fall <laughs> off of it. I got a lot of that. But the biggest controversy was when I mentioned that it was actually good for woodworking. And I had people coming out of the woodwork. I <laughs> like <laughs> <laughs> I caught that joke yeah. at time. People came out of the woodwork um, in my comments like, this is absolutely the worst tree for woodworking. And they have a point. It's not the worst tree. But it does tend to, if it's not dried, it has to be dried as the whole tree. Like you chop it down and you let that log dry for like years before you actually saw it into lumber or it's going to twist really bad and it's going to look like the wood you buy at home depot uh, so it is not i don't that, know what that sound was 
It's not the easiest or most efficient wood to work with, but the heartwood of a mature sweet gum is some of the most beautiful wood to work with. And a lot of um, woodworkers that do have patience and, and put some care into their product and want something really neat to work with, um, a lot of them actually prefer sweet gum. In fact, shameless plug here, and this is not a sponsor yet, if you go check out our affiliate link and I'll drop... Um, not affiliate link, our link tree, and I'll drop a uh, link here in the description of this podcast. I've actually got a buddy of mine out in Texas that if you look up gumcreekboards.com, they make cutting boards, um, charcuterie boards, and like whiskey glass cigar holder boards, and everything they make is handmade in the USA from sweet gum wood. So for people that say, well, you can't use sweet gum for anything or it's a horrible wood to work with. There's people out there that strictly use sweet gum because it is so beautiful. The heartwood on each piece is so unique and you never get the same thing twice. And it's just, it's a great wood to work with. Um, This is a great company if you like USA made American products. Um, Check these these guys out at gumcreekboards.com. And I actually liked having that in my pocket for all the people that came out saying nobody uses that mm-hmm. for woodworking. I'm like, well, I got a buddy that runs his whole business based on woodworking with sweet gum trees. So it comes down to it, you know, we've got plenty of sweet gums out back that if yeah. I need to build some wood stuff, it's there. Um, but. As I mentioned, the key characteristic of the sweet gum tree is the resin itself. That is what notably caught everyone's attention back in the day when they first found it. It was a heavily traded commodity um, back when, and it was used for a variety of things. When you look at it medicinally, um, well, let me put it this way. It was used medicinally, and it was actually used to make chewing gum. It was used as an ingredient in chewing Mm -hmm. gum. Now, the natives and pioneers and old-timers, you can just get the gum from the tree and just throw it in your mouth and actually just chew the resin itself. Um, it's really good for oral health. Yeah, it's great for oral health. Um, and it doesn't taste the worst. So, <laughs> remember, I thought it was, okay, I thought it, I'm ashamed to admit it. I thought it was a maple tree in the backyard. I don't know it was a sweet gum tree. And I had trimmed some, I'd pruned it, the lower limbs off of it so that it was, you know, had the right form and looked good. And some of the resin was coming out one day and I noticed the honeybees really like it. So honeybees also love the resin. I'm like, huh. But I thought it was a maple tree. So I'm like, let me try some of this maple sap. I bet it's really good. And I put it in my mouth and it did not taste anything like maple <laughs> to me, so it caught me off guard. But it came back and made sense, and it's not a horrible, it's not a bad flavor at all. It was just different than what I was expecting. Um, I wouldn't call it the best flavor in the world. But if you're in a pinch and you need to chew on something, you know, if you just like to chew on stuff, you can get some resin out of a sweet gum tree. But that said, it actually does have plenty of medicinal properties. In fact, a lot of medicinal properties. Um, it is antifungal, it is anti-inflammatory, it is antimicrobial, and the natives um, used it to aid 
as like a cough suppressant. Um, again, this word dysentery. <laughs> um, and to treat sores and wounds. What is dysentery? Dysentery. <laughs> dysentery, woman. What? Dys dysentery. That's what I. We're in Alabama. Oh, okay. Got to pronounce pronounce less letters. My bad. <laughs> it was burnt as incense. And uh, here's where it was smoked. Is it was actually combined with tobacco and smoked as a sedative. Um, so that's pretty cool. But, I mean, a lot, even in addition to the medicinal properties of sweet gum, it was used for making soaps. It was used for making cosmetics, lacquers, resins, which it is a resin, but it was used, you know, mm -hmm. um, to make other resins and stuff with. It was used for a lot of things, which is what lent it to be highly traded and highly sought after back in the day. And you can still go buy just sweet gum resin. Um, you can type it in in Google and it pulls up shopping and mm. you can buy. There's people out there selling sweet gum resin because it is a very useful thing. And actually, uh, I learned this. This is something I did not know. But if you uh, take the inner bark of a sweet gum tree mm -hmm. and you boil it with milk, you can relieve diarrhea. Why milk? I... That's the usually the last thing I think of when I have diarrhea. Um, right? <laughs> like, yeah. But it was just an old, like, folk medicine thing I came across was the inner bark of a sweet gum tree. Boil it with milk and you well, have... Well, yeah, because that's where the resin resides is in, yeah. is in the inner bark. And you already mentioned dysentery, so that makes sense. But why milk? I don't know. We'll have to dig into that, but that's that's the specific instruction I got from uh, what I read. I, I can't say in my herbalism studies that I've seen the the instruction for uh, milk decoctions. <laughs> well, hey, looks like you got more <laughs> stuff to look into. But one of the cool things, um. When it mentioned using the resin as a cough suppressant, mm -hmm. is actually if you take the leaf of a sweet gum tree and you pluck it off the branch, and you smell it and taste it, it actually has a slight menthol-y flavor and odor. Hmm. Um, and it actually has some of the same properties. So if you chew on the stem of a leaf, it actually that has been used to help with coughs. And like a cough throats. Drop. Yeah, it's like a nature's little That's cool. cough toothpick. Now don't mind me. You see me walking around with a <laughs> sweet gum, gum leaf hanging, leaf out, of hanging out of your mouth. mouth. Yeah, so if you got the coughs and you got a sweet gum tree, just pluck your leaf, chew on the, the stem, and hmm. it'll help. So, but as highly important as the resin is to the sweet gum tree, and I was hoping you would assist me with this part because you did the research for your... I did. Video. I was back. hoping you were going to get to my I'm gonna favorite get, part. I'm going to get to this, and I'm going to lean on you here. This is where we get very <laughs> con conversational. I was, trying, I was about <laughs> I to didn't say, know what word. You I were was about to say for. conservative. I'm like, yeah, that's not, not the, word. the word. Con. Sounds no. similar. No. <laughs> you, I guess if you get a, a little dyslexic and you. <laughs> You switch your S and your B, then mm. yes, come I'm always a diddle a sexist. <laughs> what? <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, 
So, <laughs> the coolest thing to me about the sweet gum tree is those stupid porcupine eggs. The the seed pods with mm-hmm. the spikes, the little death... The sweet gum balls. Yeah, the death balls um, that everybody hates this tree for. Which I'm going to go on a mini rant right here. Um, have at it. I thought we were there, but okay. I'm, no, it. I'm going on a mini rant. So, I did a whole thing about mimosa trees, right? It was a whole thing on my TikTok. It was another one of those controversial videos. Yeah. Where this is obviously a highly invasive plant that is destroying ecosystems. It is not native, but I get tons. I had comment after comment. So much so that I inspired an entire (laughs) t-shirt from these comments. Yes, it's medicinal. Yeah, yes, it's it's medicinal. No, it's not native. Yes, it is invasive. But people defended... A mimosa tree. I think they would defend it to their death. That it don't matter how bad this is. Sure, it's horrible for the ecosystem, but it's medicinal, so we should <laughs> like it. Well, it's called but the happy tree. Everybody likes it's their a happiness. Happy tree. So we shouldn't care that it's invasive. We should yeah. benefit from the medicine. But then I happy post a native plant, a native tree, and say this tree is native and highly medicinal. And it's just as controversial of a post because people hate the seed pods. <laughs> people are stupid. No offense, you guys. We love you. Uh, it's a never-ending battle. Yeah. But people what, like the drama. So what makes the seed pods so cool? Shikimic acid. Shikimic acid. What yeah, is shikimic acid? Shikimic acid is the precursor to astilamavir phosphate. I probably said that wrong, but I'm not looking at it. I'm trying to pull it out of my head. Um, so I'm not I'm not looking at it. But I know you can get that as like a homeopathic medicine. Everybody, um, I actually have some in the bathroom that a while back, everybody, this was before COVID, everybody was talking about homeopathic remedies for the flu. And it, um, one of the ones that they were going around was this Ostelmavir. Um, that if you take it as soon as you have symptoms, it knocks the flu right out. Well, that is what is um, a main component of Tamiflu is Ostelmavir. And it's a derivative of shikimic acid, which is um, usually produced from star anise pods, which are actually very similar to sweet gum pods. Mm-hmm. So if you take a star anise pod with the you know, aside from the fact that it is shaped like a star, when it dries, it looks, very, you know, the, it's brown, it's dried, it's hard, and the way the seeds come mm-hmm. out is very similar. A sycamore works to, much yeah, the same way. Yeah. It's, it's a seed So ball. they learn, so that's, a star anise is, actually has more, a higher percentage of shikimic acid, um, but they did learn that you can also extract shikimic acid from sweet gumballs. Yeah, so death balls are actually... Nature's Tamiflu. To an extent, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So. It is a different compound, like, in the end. And the way Tamiflu works, like, the certain receptors and things like that, that Tamiflu works on in your body. Um, shikimic acid doesn't necessarily work the same. Like, there is this, you know, it goes through this whole processing change. Um, so, I wouldn't necessarily... I, I used to call it nature's Tamiflu, and I guess if you want to be really basic with it, you can call it that, but it doesn't actually work the same. Um, it is just a precursor 
to yeah. a compound found then in Tamiflu. The way However, shikimic acid <clears throat> is highly antiviral mm -hmm. and thus can be used to help with the symptoms and and stuff that come with viruses. That's awesome. Which is, a lot of people point out in the comments on that TikTok video. Yeah. It's cool that the ball actually <laughs> looks like a virus or looks like... It does. I was <laughs> actually reading. It's one of the first um, things that I went to research where... Um, somebody has actually tried to make a connection with COVID, which I think is very controversial, um, which may be why it's not done. Um, obviously, we're still, you know, dealing with COVID, and it was such a highly controversial pandemic and time that I, I mean, I would, I would be scared to recommend any natural remedy for something as troublesome as COVID was. And without having really any research to back it up, because it's been around, you know, for two years. So we don't know. Um, but I guess you could definitely start with things that are antiviral. And so I did actually find an article that was discussing some of the properties of shikimic acid in relation to not only COVID as a virus um, and how it acted, like how the protein spikes acted, um, but as the complications from those protein spikes, we know is hypercoagulation, people throwing clots and that there are some studies that show that these gumballs and the shikimic acid is actually an anticoagulant and can help combat that effect of the protein spike on COVID. And then other people were pointing out that the gumball actually looks a lot like the COVID it does. molecule. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's and I just laughed to myself when I read that. And I was like, it, it really does. And how silly are we going to feel years from now if it turns out that the treatment for yeah. COVID is a sweet, <laughs> sweet gumball? Not saying that it is. Please do not. <laughs> please, again, listen to my disclaimer at the beginning. Um, I was a nurse through COVID. I am not discounting anything or saying, that you know, trying to say if you have COVID, go eat you a sweet gumball. That's not at all what I'm saying. Please don't do that. Um, please seek medical help if you are real sick with COVID and having complications. But I just think it's really neat. Um, and I'm excited to see kind of the research and where we go in years to come when we start getting more comfortable with trying to figure out treatments right. for That's COVID that, that the sweet gumball might be not just for the flu. It's a player. It's a player, definitely. Yeah. It's in the ball field. So, so for the people listening, if they wanted to, if they have a sweet gum tree producing pods, which is another thing that is, I had some people in my comments say that they got seven or eight year old trees that are producing seed pods. But um, to my research, you typically don't see a tree produce fruit until it's like upwards of 30, like fully matured. Yeah. Like 30, 35 year old trees is actually when they start making seed pods. Um, so, but that said, if somebody has a mature tree or a tree that is producing pods in their backyard and they want to try to use it for an antiviral type, um, plant medicine or introduce that to their the best selection. way to extract those compounds is through a tincture or somebody did ask me if they could use glycerin. A glycerite would work well also, um, and, and there's several other ones that I'm still learning all the names. But any type of liquid 
like that, extracting, um, not necessarily the oils, but like alcohol is going to be your best using grain alcohol, um, glycerin, vinegar, you could use those as well. Those aren't going to be as strong as what the, um, grain alcohol can pull from the sweet gumball. You want to make sure you're using green. Yes. I was going to make that point if you didn't. Yes. Um, so I, I actually got a, a 12 foot step ladder and was up in the tree um yeah you want to get them while they're green if they're fallen and brown partially because they're easier to cut open when they're green and partially because that's where your highest percentage of the compound is going to be while they're still green i quartered mine um and then put them in a mason jar covered them up they'll sit there for four to six weeks uh should be ready by flu season Nice. Between the elderberry and the sweet gum yeah. and everything else we got, we should be good to go for winter time. Yeah. So. I'm going to make up some other a fire cider. I'm excited to try my hand at some fire cider Yeah. Um, as a good antiviral sickness Nice. assistant. So, um, I did uh, your elderberry cuttings we got did not fare well. No. But I will let you know that I, I ordered you some elderberry trees. So they should be here this Thank week. Thank you. So we'll be planting He killed some. my elderberry trees. I, I didn't. Okay, I did so, not fun kill. fun fact. No. You can order elderberry cuttings, 18 of them, for $18 off Amazon. It wasn't 18 of them. It was six of no, them. No, yeah, it wasn't many. For $18 off Amazon. Six or seven. And two of them. I, sh- I hit the microphone. That's fine. Two of them actually did pretty decent at growing roots, and I'm like, hey, these are ready to be transplanted, and that they were just not high on the honeydew list, and now they've not made it. No, see, my thought process was I wanted to see them put on more roots, so they were sitting in a jar of water on the windowsill, um, putting on roots, a couple of them did. And we were going to plant them around the farm. And I'm like, first, we should put it in a pot, let them get really well-established roots before I plant them. I want to make sure that they're good to go. That's not what the instructions said, though. I didn't read the instructions. I did, (laughs) which is why I then gave you instruction. The instructions say, put them in a jar for six to eight weeks, which I did. We hadn't even moved. We were at Meemaw's. They sat at Meemaw's for a couple weeks, and then we moved. They sat there for some more. And then you just put them where you want them. Hmm. That way they build their established roots where they're going to be, and you don't have to worry about transplanting them. Ours didn't even make it to the transplant stage. But but anyway, we also have elderberries around the farm. I would just like some closer to home that we can kind of control the bird eatage. They really like the elderberries. I'm still learning the whole cutting. Transplant. Like, I I can... Propagating. I do well with seeds, Except for my plums. I'll go on that tangent later. <laughs> I, I, I meant the plums. They're breaking my heart. But I, I understand how a seed works. I can take seeds. I farmed my whole life. That's how that you put a seed in the ground and it grows. Seeds, they work. It works in my brain. I know how seeds work. That's fine. You've I, used the seed reference in your sermons way back yeah, when. Yeah, seeds, it's a pretty that simple process. Um... I have successfully transplanted many things just by either if it's a seedling pulling up the entire root. I know it needs its tap root and it needs a root system. I've transplanted uh, many things, 
by digging them up and potting them and moving them. So a fully intact living thing. But cutting still is still a battle I'm trying to learn. Yeah. So, I don't think, I, though, we did have our black raspberry cuttings that I took oh, in got, North they, Carolina. They got ignored. They we forgot thrived. they were even in a jar in the apothecary back in the office on the back of the say, shelf. I will say, since you have put them in pots of soil, they do not look as happy as they did in the jar. But before. the back one still looks pretty good. Now, I have learned this. This is one key note I have learned about trying to establish a database of plants to begin a nursery. I obviously need to work on the cutting thing if I'm going to start a nursery. Mm -hmm. But plants require patience, man. And I don't like it because I don't have any. <laughs> but anytime you transplant something, whether it's by digging it up or whether it's by cutting or whatever it might be, is there's a certain amount of shot that goes to it. And every plant that I have outside right now that I have transplanted, either via cutting or digging, um, every one of them has broken my heart and looked dead before it started putting on new growth. Yeah. So, I... And that makes sense because yeah. it's going gonna, it's gonna to pull all of its energy into building to, the root yeah, system. Yeah, to making roots. And so what you see above the ground is going to suffer because most mm -hmm. of the energy is being put. So into I have learned the system. big lesson from that is I have learned to not give up hope on my plants. And those daggum elderberry cuttings that's been in that pot and burn up, I'm not done with them yet. Okay. <laughs> the, if, you, if you do have one you're concerned about, say it's died back and you're concerned that it might not make it and it shed all of its leaves and you're about to throw it out the first thing i've learned to do is just kind of pick a spot down toward the bottom and just kind of scrape a little bit of the bark off and see if it's still green like on the inside under the bark mm -hmm. and if there's still any green in that plant it's probably going to be fine yeah um once it puts on some roots i have several things out there that like i said have broken my heart have died back and are now putting on new leaves and whatnot. So, my little cherry tree I moved is doing excellent. Yeah. But all that said, I think that's all we got for today. That's all I got. That's all I got. So let's uh, let's round this thing out. Thank y'all, and check out the description for any links I mentioned, especially to the Gum Creek boards. Um, you can find us on TikTok, Instagram. You find all that in the description, and. We'll see you next time. Hey, hey. Nature knows more than we do. Just got to learn about it. <laughs>